We want to welcome all those by way of television today, and if you drive by the church, you'll probably hardly recognize it. There wasn't much clean up, but boy, when the leaves were removed, it looked like a completely different lawn. I think we're in for a kind of a cold, cold winter with all the leaves that were outside. We had one of our largest showings in that. Some, like myself, did activities during the week, and we always encourage people to they see something on our yard, you know, to pick it up to make it just as cleanly as possible for those who drive by. And we've been noted by a number of the funeral homes to have the best washrooms and the best lawns and the best kept up parking lot among many churches that they serve. So again, we want to thank you for your prayers and your presence. And as we open our worship service, we praise the O God in honor of the anniversary of John and Helen Ryder. They're very faithful supporters of our church and their prayers and their financial giving. We praise thee, O God, read hymn number, number 358, please. 358, if you'd like to stand, you may stand. Return to hymn number 358, read hymnals, please. Thank you. 
Also a faithful television watcher is Hilda Fussy, and we honor her birthday. One of the last times Hilda was in church, we had to call the ambulance. They came, and she's just a little scared of coming to church. But they'll know we are Christians by our love, and that's on your insert. Very, very popular uh, number in the late 60s, and one that was um, really promoted by the Jesus people. They'll know we are Christians by our love. It's interesting when you sing a song, you can kind of go back in time. And I recall um, university campus, and I worked in the, the cafeteria and spent much of my time in the library. And, on the field, in the sports field. Recently, we were called back as 
and honored again as the Hall of Famers of 1970, one of the real powerful expressions was when we were able to express our faith. And as I shared my faith, a number of people came up to me and recalled the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that was started during the early 70s. And a number of the football players, we were called out from midfield and mentioned where we came from and what we're doing over the loudspeaker. And, and we congregated after the, the game. A number of the football players from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes went on into the ministry. So we never know, you know, the lives we're touching by the fact that they'll know we are Christians by our love. Father, this morning we just want to give you grateful praise for the wonderful, outstanding Sunday school class that we provide here. We thank you for Pastor Iris Sims and his knowledge of your word and for his safe return for in the many trials and tribulations he goes through with his family and loved ones and we we thank you father that he's a survivor bless julie and him and his eight children we pray that as they experience so many trials and tribulations lord that you would be with him and them we thank you father as we gather today we we express our appreciation to all those who turned out for the church cleaning and we are thankful that we are known not only by the wellness of our church but by our spirituality in our commitment to Jesus Christ that we we walk the walk and we talk the talk and as we talk the talk we walk the walk and father this morning we pray for national matters also not only for our personal and religious concerns the psalmist was given this to write by God in the Holy Scriptures, Psalm 33, 12, that blessed, blessed is the nations whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Despite America's current condition, most Christians who are spiritually attuned to what the Lord of he heaven has to say about the peoples of earth know that this has been since its inception a God-blessed nation. And while we look around at the national and world landscapes today, we can say that America's blessings look to be headed sometimes in the opposite directions. Many that are talking the talk are not walking the walk. And just considering the conditions that have resulted from the political chaos, the so-called pandemic, and now the complete disaster that the Afghanistan withdrawal seems to be producing, and especially disheartening to our patriots, patriots of the faith. And as we take vows in the military to leave no person behind, it's, it is not difficult to reach the conclusion that the nation has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's be, being asked in such spiritually tuned quarters whether we are now seeing the handwriting on the wall. While most believe that the Afghan caught and run decision be a terrible error by commander-in-chief who we won't go there more specifically 
And as many GO strategists, former clandestine service types I've heard, cause us to think in another direction, certain intentional wills. We ask ourselves pointedly, whoever is directing the current American administration is using the diminished situation. And according to this whole global reset being carried out by the globalists. It appears that the whole Afghanis matter is to pile on Americans inevitability to fall. The Afghan debacle is one more part of the globalist blueprint. First it was the stolen American election that followed the years long internal assaults by the US intelligence services, our, our CIA and our FBI and so many ideological wickednesses. Then bursts on the scene a, a pandemic with the masks, the vaccines, and all the rest of the efforts to control us. It, it was, and it's all, I believe, bringing us to a group global reset of the Antichrist, those who are against Christians. And the strategy is being implemented by the evil powers and the principalities, both human and demonic, according to Ephesians chapter 6, 12, and I believe. And it seems that Satan's blueprint in that regard is the center of the acquisitions by this collective American patriot geopolitical thinkers. And Father, we, we pray that amidst the turmoil, amidst the declining popularity of Christians and the moral, the righteous, the God-believing, those who serve scripture and tradition and reason and experience. Just as you took Noah and the family through the flood that you carry us through. And when we see things coming apart and falling apart, we, we know that biblically speaking, it's just falling into place. Very little is said of the, the landmass that the United States occupies in, in biblical history and, and the consequences of it end-time prophecies. We believe, many of us believe in the rapture, the blessed hope where Christians are taken out of the world immediately before the total collapse of the world, the tribulation. And Father, we pray that we may be found faithful, true to your word, faithful, obedient. And we thank you, Father, for those who turned out cleaned our church, tremendous fellowship that we have as we congregate on Sunday mornings and as we pray for those by way of television and the many needs that they have. And we're so grateful for the fact that we can televise our, our services for those who are shut-ins and those who cannot get out. And We pray, Father, for John and Helen Ryder. We pray for Hilda Fussy. We we pray for Janet Peterson as we celebrate her birthday today, immediately following the worship service during the coffee hour. In the last couple days, as I spend time with my family and the families that I've served in the past, and I spend time with Vaya Bumgarden and conversation and prayer is she's going on 108 years old, 108 years old. And 
how God has blessed my treasurers with such a long life. And Lord, we just want to thank you for the many buys of this world who have served so faithfully in, in church of their time and their talents or their finances. May we be found faithful. May we hear the words of Jesus when he says, well done, thou faithful and true servant. May we put integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all that we do, as you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You're joining us by way of television. Our scripture lesson is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And Mike, you can make your way up. And it's important that you not only hear the word of God being read, but you follow along. And here is passage of scripture for that I, I call it woody Christians, the would-be Christians. And it's interesting that writer of, of this particular Bible, I think it's the American Standard Version Bible, the New Revised Standard Version deals with it at a heading, and the heading says, would-be, the would-be followers of Jesus. And it's also recorded in the math cap, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. The so-called would-be followers of Jesus. Listen now to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and following. As they were going along the road, and all of us are going along the road of life, put yourself in there, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And then Jesus said to this individual, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. One of the first times I heard this verse quoted was I was behind a John Deere tractor, a B. John Deere pulling a, a 14T John Deere baler. I was in a hay rack with a gentleman and they were of the faith of the two-by-twos. And I asked him about his church, and he said, they don't meet in any buildings. And I said, how come? And he quoted this verse, where Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then to another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And I remember this verse very clearly here a couple of years ago when my father died. And some of you said, why don't you take the Sunday off? And I said, no, I'm not going to take the Sunday off. I'm going to, um, I think that just as David said, you know, he wept for the, his son who was dying. And then when his son died, he said, I must return to worship. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And how many times I've heard the sad stories of families as they parted with their children, as they went on a deployment, or they went to basic training, further schooling, deployments of many months. And those last goodbyes, they said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And then Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit. And can you say it with me? For the kingdom of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. The first man that came across to Jesus today was in Matthew 8, identified as a scribe. So he was against Jesus, but not in this instance. He, he came up and asked him to follow him, how he could follow him. Jesus said, well, many animal, animals have homes, but he didn't. He was speaking of Jesus. He was trying to show the scribe how uncomfortable it would be to follow him. I think a scribe naturally would be thinking, oh, he's so popular. He attracts such crowd. Look how good I can get. That's completely the wrong way to look at Jesus. And it actually precludes even a bigger fall from his faith. The second man today, Jesus said, follow me. The second man expressed interest in becoming a disciple and thought following Jesus would be a lifestyle upgrade once again. But Jesus knew that his earthly concerns would come before Christ. Following Jesus often requires the toleration of convenience, inconvenience, and sacrifice. This was the point Jesus was making with these three people. Unlike many evangelists today, Jesus wants fully committed people. He wants disciples that are fully committed to him and that are completely separated from their worldly concerns and belongings. We should all realize that following Jesus requires two things, sacrifice and inconvenience. You will have hardships or persecution to some degree as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now this Jesus did not tell this man not to go back and take care of his elderly father. He merely made the point that a commitment to Jesus is complete and total. I hope I'm not the only one within Son of Voice that realizes I haven't always put Jesus first in my life, especially in those circumstances. We should all feel at least a twinge of conviction when we think, where have I put Jesus in my life's happenings? I personally haven't put Jesus first in many times. Some people are good with multitasking. I'm not among them. <laughs> but to truly follow Jesus means not being overtaken and overcome by earthly concerns because those earthly concerns may just cause a falling away from Jesus Christ. 
It's interesting to note here that the first man may have been too quick to follow Jesus, and the second man was too slow because he wanted to go back and say goodbye. Realize that that second man's father was not on his deathbed. He just needed his help. He needed his assistance for living. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. He wasn't speaking of mortal, physical people. He was talking spiritually. Think about that. Spiritually speaking, let the dead bury their dead. In other words, they're separate from me. If you want to go separate from me, go with everybody else that wants to be separate from me. In the second sentence of verse 61, the Lord's meaning to all three of these should be understood. Go and play, proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what he told this man. A better question that man could have asked Jesus was, hey, how, how can I go back and take the best level of care of my father? But that's not what he asked. But Jesus' answer, that incorrect question was correct either way. Either way, he asked the question to him, how does that, although he should have asked him. In verse 60, Jesus explains to, to this man how he could be a follower of Jesus, of himself, without even having his physical presence. The guy had overlooked that. In verse 60, when he said, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, what he meant was, when you're, when you're going places and seeing people and proclaiming the, kid, the kingdom of God, Jesus is actually right there with you via the Spirit. Jesus does not have to physically, we do not need the physical presence of Jesus to be with Jesus. Anytime we're trying to spread his word or sharing our, our thoughts about our relationship with him with others, Jesus is right there via the Holy Spirit. Really, we should never be separate from him. The third man that approached Jesus, he wouldn't immediately follow Jesus either because he wanted to go back and say goodbye to everybody he knew. Like I said, all three of these men had one thing in common. All three of them wanted to put their earthly concerns before they put their relationship with Jesus. Jesus does not want half-hearted followers. He does not want followers People with faith in him, they're going to be easily distracted by the worldly commitments or voluntary things that they just need to do. Jesus does not want, oh, Jesus, yeah, I'll go to church, but uh, I've got A, B, and C to do, so I'll go next week. That is not commitment to Jesus. And Jesus knows that it's not commitment. We shouldn't merely be convenience followers of Jesus. Following Jesus requires complete and total commitment. Jesus basically told the third man to follow his priorities, keep them straight, by saying no one puts their hand to the plow and looks, and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. That's kind of an odd analogy. What does it mean? 
When you plow a field with an ox or an animal of burden, you have one hand on the, on the rein to the animal to control them, and the other hand is on the plow. The only way to keep a straight furrow or row of crops is to keep your eye on the end point, where you're going. If you keep your eye on the animal, where you've been, or looking around, your cultivation lines are gonna be wavy and un un uneven. That's gonna cause ridicule and laughter by your neighbors. When we go forward in our, in our faith, in our life, as Christians, as children of God, that's where our focus should be. On the end point, where we're going. We can't look where we are or behind us that's certainly not going to lead us straight to Jesus. We should stay focused. And furthermore, following Jesus, we can expect a little friction in our lives. But we have to realize and think immediately that following Jesus is worth any scorn, any sacrifice, any inconvenience on this earth. He's worth it. What is my life compared to my events, my property? What is that compared to the glorious things that Jesus has done for us? I personally will say, not. My life, things in my life, really aren't much compared to Jesus Christ, what he sacrificed for me. We need to realize that following Jesus Christ is going to, call, going to cause inconvenience and sacrifice. If you feel some reluctance, or have ever felt, or maybe you've seen it, reluctance, or people felt unworthy to be a proper disciple, you're not alone. The Bible is full of fathers of the faith that voiced opposition to their calling. And I mean verbally to God himself. When they were chosen, they didn't want to. Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, and even Isaiah immediately voiced opposition. God, I can't do this because I've got that going on, I've got this problem, I've got that problem. That is not an excuse to God. That is an excuse for you, not an excuse for God. First thing you have to think of, my problems, my, my habits, my disabilities, doesn't matter what it is. God can't use me because I'll, I'll, I'll come short. You don't think a lot of God if you think that way. You don't think very highly of him. God can, can and will overcome your shortcomings, your disabilities, your habits. Does not matter what is in front of it. When, you're, when God looks at you, he sees his son. And that's who he wants you to glorify and pray. Remember, God wants you as you are, not as you want to be. God isn't going to look at you and go, oh, I'll use you after you get rid of that habit. Or when you change this thing about your life, I'll use you. God is not like that. You should have the faith and courage that God can and will use you exactly as you are. 
your un unworthy feelings of worthiness or shortcomings are nothing compared to the power and strength of God. Remember, God wants to use you as you are, not as you want to be, not as you will be, but as you are. We are worthy to serve God. But only when we keep our faith and focus on the end point, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. Give the Lord a round of applause. Amen. You know, say amen. You know, God doesn't look for only our abilities, but our availability. Say it with me. Not our abilities, but our availability. In this passage of scripture, really, you know, emphasizes the importance. It just seemed like yesterday I gave my first sermon I was almost 70 years ago. Well, yeah, no, almost 60 years ago, I guess, when I was going through confirmation and we were giving, given a choice by the minister, prepare a sermon or stand up in front of the congregation and take questions from the congregation. Now, I was open to both. But I thought that maybe I could prepare a little bit if I, if I shared the word. And I um, still remember that sermon. It's, um, it was um, definition of sin. S-I-N, self, interest, and neglect. And I went on to that. And that'd probably take me a few Sundays to remind you of what I shared. This past um, week was almost like going, or past couple days was, almost like going through a plat book because I, I, uh, I get a lot of requests, a lot of requests for funerals. And, and um, I normally try to take those requests unless, you know, I, I'm supposed to be at one location and can't be at more than the same location at the same time. In this particular family that we went to the funeral for, I did the grandmother, I did the grandchild's funeral. I did three of the girls' funerals. A number of the relatives and their friends, they were unchurched. He was a local policeman in town and the, the family became very involved in the, the church, very involved in sports in the community and that. Chris had worked with, um, with Nancy at the school system and, and um, when they called, you know, I just... Um, you know, I just felt like I needed to be there. And then um, Vi, Vi ran the motel in Deer River. We put up a lot of evangelists there and pretty involved in the Methodist Church. I had her husband, funeral, Tiny Bumgarner. He was very involved in Sherman Motors, Ford Motors in, in Deer River. So remember that funeral, and that's almost 50 years ago, Di, um, we felt that by, you know, was left to herself, and her two children, at a very young age, you know, she would have probably been um, in her late 40s or so at that time, because she's going on 108, she's going on 108 now, and I, I realized how quickly time is going, because um, both her children I knew her children older than me, but her children are like 87 and 89. And we have children, you know, it's just um, at, a, at a young age, and you know, you're living, you know, 
you know, they had 108, and hopefully, you know, she's going to maybe break all records. You realize that there's a lot, a lot in life that you and I, we touch. In this passage of scripture, which um, we have just read, it's, it's a really remarkable one. It's one that sometimes is overlooked and by many, many clergy. And, you know, it's one that probably you haven't heard really commented on in your past. But it contains three, not one, not two, but three short sayings. Uh, it's a very peculiar, peculiar solemnity, you know, psalms. And it's addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ to three different persons. Three different persons. We, we know very little of the names or the faces of these persons. We, we know nothing of the effect which our Lord's words produced upon them. But we need not doubt that each was addressed in the way in which his character required. God addressed you and I in unique characteristics too. And we may be sure that the passage is specially intended to promote a sense of self-inquiry. Say it with me. Self-inquiry. Our inquiry. Our learning. Our learning. The first of these sayings was addressed to one who offered, offered to be a, a disciple and offered this unconditionally and of their own accord. And they said, said Lord, Lord, said this man, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now I've heard that many times. And some of the most prominent times is before couples that stand before me. And, and it's not only the wife, but it's the husband. I respond, I'll, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And it's in, in reference to following the Lord putting the Lord first in your life, in your marriage. And that, that, that offer, that sounded so well and, and, and so, um, so powerful and, and so easy. It, it was well, it, it was a step in the right direction. It was an advance of many. Thousands of people have heard our Lord's sermons who never thought of saying what this one said. So lest we criticize this person, we need to look at ourselves. Yet the one who made this offer was evidently speaking without thought. He had never considered what belonged to true discipleship. Now it's easy to get people probably out for a celebration, but it's not always easy to get people out for cleaning the church. And I have an award to give Chris He's new to our church, and I, I like to give awards to new people and people that recruit people. He recruited his daughter and Kathy, and I think they kind of somewhat think of this church as their church, too. But thousands have heard our Lord's sermons who never thought of saying what this one person said. Yet this one who made this offer was evidently speaking 
without thought. And how many times have you and I said something without thought? He had never considered what belonged to discipleship. And, you know, we've heard that cliche, well, discipleship is a number of believers and followers of Christ in the same ship, on the same plane, the same tank. He had never considered what belonged to discipleship. He had never counted the cost. And, and hence he needed, he needed the grave, the grave reply which his offer called forth. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but, but the Son of Man, referring to himself as Jesus, hath, hath nowhere to lay his head. He was saying we must, we must weigh well what he was, was taking in hand. He, he, he must not suppress that Christ's service was, it was not all pleasure and it was not all smooth sailing. And Jesus was redirecting the question to him as he redirects the question to you, know, I, to you and I, are we really prepared for this? I've interviewed a number of candidates for the ministry and, and for mental health and for the military. I worked as a recruiter at one time. And I always had to ask the question, you know, have you ever used drugs? And, and you know, I appreciate the honesty of many of the individuals, especially in the, the Air Force. The Air Force has a real high criteria. And if at any time they said, yeah, they had previously used drugs, that was the squad, we'd check it right away, but we'd finish off the list. And I recall many situations where individuals would go outside the office and, and the parents would almost browbeat their sons and daughters for answering those questions so honestly. They weren't allowed to serve. We had to turn, turn, turn them away. If, as Jesus says, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3 says, are we ready to endure hardness? If not, we had better withdraw our application to be a disciple of Christ. Or in the military, we take a pledge, not one left behind. Not one left behind. And I've shared with many a family that their son or their daughter was killed in action because they, they returned to allow another soldier or military personnel to live. Let us learn from our Lord's words on this occasion that Jesus would have all of us, all of us profess and call themselves Christians reminded that they must carry the cross, they must lay their, their account, their account to be despised and afflicted and tried like their master. Jesus would have no person enlisted on false pretenses. Jesus would have it distinctly understood that there is a battle to be fought, there's a race to be won and run, a work to be done and many hard things to be endured if we propose to follow Jesus. Salvation, Jesus is ready to bestow without money and without pride. Grace, by the way, and glory in the end shall be given to every, every sinner who, 
who comes to him. But the one Jesus would not have us ignorant that we shall have in this world deadly, deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that many will hate us, many will slander us and persecute us if we become his true, true disciple. Jesus does not wish to discourage us, but, but he does wish us to know the truth and to be truly enlightened and apparent the consequences. And well would it have been for the church if our Lord's warnings had been more frequently pondered. Many a, many a person begins this, this religious life full of warmth and zeal and the by and by losses all of their first love and they turn back again to the world. How many a young couple during marriage preparation I've required him to come to church and be a part of our worship. They come with such enthusiasm and zeal and excitement and they get married and they come for a few Sundays following and they may purchase a, a lake home or some other property or they may start returning to their old homes and just they suddenly evaporate from our worship service. Or I think of the military, how they go through basic training and they go through hell week and they miss their parents and we see these long lines in about the second or third week and they're calling home and they're hoping and they're praying. These long lines, if they get up to the phone and they only have about a 10 minute conversation and hopefully they're gonna reach their parents when they're present at home and the tears and, and they wanna know what's going on back home and parents want to know how they're doing and, and they're least concerned about sharing what they're going through and they want to know what they're missing back home. And they return, they return and they return home and in their new uniform and they're so proud of their uniform and, and the, the badges and the merits and the, they've acquired and, and the bounty and the, and the money and the name of being a soldier. You and I are, we excited about being a Christian soldier. Many have never considered the watching and the warring, the wounds and the conflicts which Christian soldiers must endure. Let us never forget this lesson. It need not make us afraid of, of serving Christ, but it ought to make us begin to carefully and prayerfully and very humbly and with much prayer for grace, if we are not ready to take part in the afflictions of Christ, we must never expect to share in the glory of Christ. I worked for many a farmer when I was growing up and I, I drove many a tractor and had many a farmer tell me at a certain point out there that you always gotta look forward to when you're plowing, you're disking. And I became so attached to the, the machinery and the, the plows that I collected those plows and I kept those plows because they were spiritually reminders of me of, of, of what I'm seeking and what I'm hoping for in life. And let us learn from this saying to beware, to beware. Affairs are, 
are far more greater importance than, and I probably better not, because of time, I shouldn't really skip this point, but I'm going to move through it. But the sound of our Lord's saying is addressed to one whom he invited to follow him. The answer he received was a very remarkable one. He said, Lord, said the man, suffer me first to go and to bury my father. And the thing he requested was in itself very harmless. But the time at which the request was made was unreasonable. Affairs of far greater importance than even a father's funeral demanded the man's immediate attention. And there would always be plenty of people ready and fit to take charge of a funeral, but there was at that moment a, a pressing want for laborers to do Christ's work in the world, and, and hence the man's request drew from our Lord the solemn reply, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach, preach the kingdom of God. And let us learn from this saying to beware of allowing family and even social events and duties to interfere with our duty for Christ. Funerals and marriages, cabins and visits of courtesy and the like unquestionably are not in, in themselves sinful. But when they are allowed to absorb a, a believer's time and keep one back from any plan and plane of religious duty, they become a snare to the very soul and the spirit and the eternalness of ourselves. That the children of the world and the unconverted should allow them to occupy their time and thoughts is not wonderful. They, they know nothing higher and better and more important than to hear these words, let the dead bury their dead. But the heirs of glory and the children of the king of kings should be of a different stamp. A different characteristic. They should declare plainly by their conduct that the world, the world to come is a greater reality than the current reality of this world. And the reality that has come should fill their thoughts. They should not be ashamed to let others see that they have no time either to rejoice or to sorrow like others who have no hope. Their master's work waits for them, and their master's work must have the chief place in their, their hearts. They are God's priests in the world, and like the priests of old, their mourning, their mourning must be kept carefully within bounds. Leviticus 21.1. For weeping, weeping, says the old divine, must not hinder working, and mourning must not be allowed to run into excess. And the third of our Lord's sayings in this passage was addressed to one who volunteered, volunteered to follow Jesus, but, but he marred the grace of his offer by interposing a very interesting request. He says, Lord, he said, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And the answer he received shows plainly that that the one's heart was not yet thoroughly engaged in Christ's service, and that he was therefore unfit to be part of that apostleship and that discipleship. Jesus said unto him, No, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Father, this morning we, we learn from this saying that it's impossible to serve Christ with a, with a divided heart. If we are looking back to anything in this world, we are, we are not fit to be disciples. For those who look back, like Lot's wife, want to go back. Jesus will not share his throne with anyone, no, not with our dearest relatives. Jesus must have our whole heart or none. No doubt we are to honor father and mother and love all around us, but when love to Christ and love to relatives come in collision, Christ must have the preference. We must be ready, like Abraham of old, if needs be, to come out from Kidron and father's house for Christ's sake. We must be prepared in case of necessity, like Moses, to turn our backs even on those who have brought us up. If God calls us in the path that's plain, such decided conduct may curtail sort trials on our affections. It may wring our hearts to go contrary to the opinions of those we love, but such conduct may sometimes be positively necessary to our salvation, and without it, when it becomes necessary, we are unfit for the kingdom of God. For the good soldier will not allow his heart, his or her heart, her heart to be entangled too much with the affairs of this world, of their homes. If, if one is daily giving way to human repinings about those they have left behind, they will never be fit for the campaign. God, present duties, the watching, the marching, the fighting must have the principal place in our thoughts. And so must it be with all who would serve Christ. They must beware of softness spoiling their characters as Christians. They must endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And as we leave this morning and as we leave this whole passage with many searchings of heart, the times are undoubtedly much changed since our Lord spoke these words. Not many are called to make such real sacrifices for Christ's sake as when Christ was upon earth, but the heart of us never changes. The difficulties of salvation is, is still very great. The atmosphere of the world is still very unfavorable to spiritual religion. There is still a need for thorough unflinchingly wholehearted decisions if we would reach heaven. Let us aim at nothing less than this decision. Let us be willing to do anything, suffer anything, and give up everything for Christ's sake. It may cost us something for a few years, but great will be the reward in eternity in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed and those by television and radio and means of communication. Help us to rededicate our time and our talents and our treasures to you, O Lord, as we pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I repent. I turn to you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my failings. Come into my heart. Bring the kingdom of God within my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn to our offertory hymn and our offertory prayer, would you join me in the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins, please? Holy God, architect of the universe, 
You have wonderfully made every delicate infantry of the world. Then you placed human beings in the center of it as we stumble our way through living our lives in union with your will and in harmony with creation. As we offer our tithes and our gifts this morning, we thank you for sending your Jesus to show us the way in simple language, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. May our gifts be dedicated toward making both a reality. In Christ we pray, amen. As we turn to our offertory prayer and the ushers come forward this morning, I told Vi, I gave her a bulletin uh, yesterday, and, and she says to greet, greet Olivet. He, she said, is Olivet taking as good care of you as your river? And I said, yes, they are. They're, they're good. And um, so greetings, love, and prayers from Vi Gumner. Red hymnals number 378, Lord, speak to me that I may speak. Stand with me, please.
Dearest Lord and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive our foolish ways, reclothe us in our righteousness mind through your blood, in pardoned lives may our service find, in deeper and reverent praise we give and ask that you would bless these gifts and these givers now. For there is a peace in our hearts that the world will never give, a peace that they cannot take away, that though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, we have peace that there is a way through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any announcements, I would like to um, call Chris forward. We want to recognize current caretakers of our church. I think he, he, he's probably a good um, prospect or trustee. Now, not many of you are aware of the fact that royal purple is one of the best oils. This is a Mac cycle, S-A-E, 2050. That's the desire of his heart, right? You have any words to share? This is wonderful to be able to help everyone. It's part of the family, and it feels wonderful to help. Makes, it makes the heart feel good. So, thank you. And, you know, there is a belief, a belief in the early church that, you know, um, when loved ones went home to be with the Lord, they, and when they had the church service, that they never felt closer to the Lord and closer to their loved ones than when they were in church. And I often look at Chris and I, I, I want to say, how you doing? How you doing? How's your soul? Amen. 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 One of our largest numbers, huh? And Gary, would you please come forward at this time? We have a little presentation for Gary and Kathy. Something that I've, it's taken about 27 years for me to get together. And on behalf of all of the United Methodist Church, we'd like to um, present this to Gary and Kathy. We fashioned this. And if you look real closely, you'll see Gary and Kathy. And they're having their devotional. If you've ever been in their house, they have this table. And they're praying. That was Gary's graduation picture we took. Let's give a trustee chair and our ad board chair a round of applause. Any closing comments or remarks before we go celebrate Janet Peterson's 82nd birthday, is it? 92. Amen. Any, any announcements or questions?